Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 69. Uh, now, my co-host, Josh Long. Josh, how you doing? Hi. He's good. got somewhere to be. Yes. All right? So, we can't be hemming and hawing. We got, you know, let's get to it. Got things to do, so hurry it up, people. Absolutely. In fact, I think I'm going to spend another two minutes letting you know just how much time is of the essence. We'll just stress that message. That's important. Yeah, it is. Where is it you have to be, Josh? I have to be at work. At work. On set. Yeah. Tinseltown. (laughs) That is one of my my favorite things, is uh, calling Hollywood Tinseltown, Mm because it just has such an old-timey, totally outside (laughs) of uh, the action uh, ring to it. It does. But but before we get into the episode, I got a couple of announcements. Uh, Hey, everybody that time again it's podcast award season oh my gosh that's right it's here again already it sure is uh and so here's what here's what you can do right now uh as of the recording it is the third right okay someone needs to change the date on his watch it's me uh thanks a lot only 30 days in september so uh anyway so for the next two weeks uh, the podcast awards are accepting submissions for their nominations. Uh, and so you just go in and with this one, it's not about how many times you submit. In fact, you can only submit once per email address. So go in, select uh, more than one lesson in the religion inspiration category. Uh, if you felt like it, you could head on over to the, uh, the movie category and select battleship pretension. If you want, you know, you do. You do, you probably obviously. Do. If you listen to this, you listen to that. That's usually how it works. Um, but yeah, uh, so you do that, and then you submit your uh, email address and that kind of thing. So, um, And while I, I've said this before, the podcast words don't really mean much, uh, and that is true, they don't, uh, as far as uh, winning because winning is really just a function of who can mobilize their listeners the most. And so... Whoever has the most listeners will win, and that's never going to be me. I have no expectation of winning. And so, um, but being nominated in the past has opened some doors for me, uh, at the very least just for, with conversation. Um, you know, the, uh, the Irreligiosophy podcast, the first year I was nominated, uh, or was it the second? I don't recall. Uh, they reviewed my show, uh, unfavorably, by the way. But the next year, we were both nominated again, and they invited me back. They invited me to be on their show, and a really good conversation happened out of it. Uh, some of you listen as a result of that. So, um, so while I'm the first to say that the podcast awards don't mean much in and of themselves, they have allowed me to do some really interesting 
uh, worthwhile things. So uh, who knows what could happen this year. But uh, so, yeah, that's happening for the next couple of weeks. And then uh, once the nominations come out, if I'm nominated, I'll let you guys know. Uh, but even more important than that, Josh. What, what's more important than that? I'll tell you. Ugh. I'm at a loss. So um, <laughs> there's a certain series, a web series. Oh, yes. That is uh, now available, or it's at least one episode of it is. One then, episode uh, is. And, and then there's another one coming up. It'll be, it'll be on October 9th? Very soon now. Is that a Tuesday? Yes. If that's a Tuesday, then it's October 9th. Okay. It's coming right up, people. It's We're talking, of course, about The Unemployed Mind. That's the one. Written and directed by, by our own Josh Long. By me. Yeah. Yeah. The first episode is available. You it's can available. You can find it at theunemployedmind.com. And you can, you can laugh and laugh and laugh. That's what it's about. Yeah, there's about three laughs in there. Yeah. I'd say that's about that's right. I said. Laugh and <laughs> yeah. laugh and laugh. And you go um, home. Uh, you can also find it at uh, morethanonelesson.com. There is a specific post dedicated to the first episode, but then you can also click on the video page and you can find it there as well. So, uh, yeah, watch it and enjoy. And if you enjoy it a lot, guess what? There's another one coming up, October you're in, 9th. You're in so much luck, you don't even yeah. know. Yeah. If you enjoy that one, there are, what, four more after four that? Four more. That's right. And there's two weeks in between, so you got plenty of time to watch that to watch each one several times several and really times. Or soak it in. Say you go on a vacation, you're in the Bahamas for a week and a half. Okay. You come back, you get, you've had enough time to catch up. Absolutely. You can see the episode that the last episode that you missed. Yeah. That's what it's all about. While you were on vacation. It you know, it's like uh, when HBO would have like a, a year and a half in between seasons of like The Sopranos. Mm-hmm. And you're like, "Man, why is it so long?" Well, it's it's so that uh, everyone else could see it on can DVD. watch it on DVD yeah. and catch up to it. Yeah, and then uh, by the time the next season starts, everyone's on the same page, and that's mm-hmm. that's what the unemployed mind is all about. Ne- and that is the, one of the many similarities between the unemployed mind and the Sopranos. There will be a blog post on all the similarities, right. But if uh, if any of you can come up with all the similarities, yeah, uh, let us know. Josh is part Italian. There's that. There's more. Uh, it's very violent. <laughs> so violent. The first one's kind of violent. Yeah, it is. Um, so, uh, Speaking of violence. Absolutely. Uh, see, that's Josh moving us along because he's got somewhere to be. <laughs> um, of course, it's not his show. It's tr- That's true. So perhaps I will talk to my cat, Charlie, for a, fo- for a few moments. I'm joking, of course. So here's the deal, everybody. It's October. Or as I like to call it, Rocktober. Whoa. Slow down. Because I like to rock. That sounds about right. That's not true. Though I do enjoy uh, rock and roll music, uh, I cannot think of anybody that rocks less than me. Um, eh, Charlie, maybe. He's pretty adorable. I wish this were a video podcast. <laughs> so, um, If this were a video podcast, it would just be Charlie. And oh, you hear our, yeah, our just, voices. Just a live feed of yeah. Charlie while we record. Um, so, yeah, it is October. And uh, that means Halloween's coming up. And as is the uh, pretty standard for any kind of movie-related podcast, although if anybody from the podcast words is listening, this is primarily a religious podcast, not a movie podcast. Don't let this episode throw you. This episode will mostly be about film 
and uh, the artistic side of it. But there's a, we'll we'll shoehorn in some spirituality stuff so that you uh, so that you count us. Um, okay. But uh, but yeah. So as is the case with uh, movie podcasts around October and Halloween time, it's time for us to talk about uh, some horror movies. Mm. Uh, so this episode and the next episode will be uh, about uh, a horror movie. This uh, this episode is going to be about Drew Goddard's The Cabin in the Woods, which is uh, currently one of my favorite movies of the year. Uh, it is. Don't let this throw you uh i was about to say it's it hasn't been that great of a year that's not to say the cabin in the woods <laughs> is not very good but it's weird that a movie like that is like number five for me still for in the october year. yeah um because when did it come out was it came it, out in like april yeah may maybe i don't totally remember yeah but uh so it, it's it's really hung in there and and that's okay. It's a very good movie, but I, I don't expect it to stay at number five uh, over the next few months because some notable films that I will probably like uh, will be released. But you never know. Uh, I've been disappointed before. Uh, for example, um, Josh. I'm a disappointment. Yes. As a co-host, as a friend, uh, as a husband, I would assume. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, um, so The Cabin in the Woods... Uh, I saw it a couple times in theaters, and then I recently rewatched it with uh, our friend Josh here. I think I, uh, I'll try to sum it up, but it's 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 hard to sum up. I should have written something down, but I'll try to do it quickly. Uh, in many ways, it's a standard horror movie. These five, uh, not teenagers, but like college kids, they go to uh, this, uh, this cabin. It's in the woods. Maybe you picked up on that. Yeah. The savvy listener will already expect the cabin to be in the woods. Right. Uh, but in the meantime, we also see uh, these two middle-aged men in suits and ties in this kind of compound-looking thing with computers and screens. Room. A control room. Uh, and you don't immediately know how these two things are connected. Before I move on, spoilers. This episode will be full of spoilers. Yes. Uh, just letting you know... If you have not seen The Cabin in the Woods, it is a movie that uh, has some twists and some turns, uh, and so I would recommend you stop listening now, watch it. It is recently available on DVD and Blu-ray. Mm -hmm. So stop listening now, go and watch it, and then, uh, then come, com on back. come on back to us. Yeah, And maybe uh, stop off and nominate us for a podcast award and watch The Unemployed Mind. We'll be here waiting. We sure will be, patiently. And here we are. How All did right. you enjoy it? Yeah, even that's nice. So um, I should have incorporated some music, like some elevator music there. Yeah. Anyway. You can always put it in later. That's true. I'm not going to do that. Um, not because it's a bad idea, but because I'm just too lazy. It's time consuming. It is. Now, uh, so now that I've, hopefully I've, I've warned you guys enough. Spoilers all over this thing. All over the place. So as I said, you don't know what the... Uh, what the connection is between the guys in the control room and these kids, and it turns out because I don't want to go into a, a lot of detail, uh, because I, you know, you could you could spend a lot of time on the story of this film. Uh, it turns out that the guys in the control room are controlling what is happening at the cabin. Mm -hmm. uh, they are part of a large conspiratorial network that manipulates regularly manipulates young people into going to this cabin uh, 
and inflicting all kinds of horrors on them. Uh, now, the kids themselves, they quote-unquote uh, choose their own uh, method of destruction. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the controllers or the puppeteers as they're referred to by one of the characters um, they manipulate the kids into this basement where there's all kinds of bric-a-brac and each one uh, is associated with a different type of horror yeah. and, uh, and depending so, on which one they sort of yeah engage with it yeah. it unleashes something different and terrible on them so the kids engage with this old uh, diary uh, in which this uh, young girl from like a hundred years before, she and her horrible backwoods uh, family, they uh, like worship pain religiously, and uh, and they're all uh, they're all dead now. But if you read this uh, this journal entry, and which ends with some Latin, if you read the Latin, then they come back to life, uh, and they they pursue our our heroes, mm-hmm. and so. As one would expect, people, you know, they die one by one until finally uh, our, our main, the main girl, Dana, and then much to everybody's surprise, uh, the, the fool is how mm-hmm. he's referred to by the uh, controllers. They figure out that something is going on, that they are being manipulated, and they find their way into this control room. Uh, or rather, the the general control area, and and they're trying to figure out exactly what's going on. What what you know? Why are they being manipulated? And it comes out that <laughs> there are these beings called the ancient ones. Uh, they are ancient gods that re- that demand sacrifice uh and if you don't sacrifice if humanity does not sacrifice uh you know young people to them on a regular basis then, then they will the end of the world they will pretty much end the world or at least end humanity let's yeah. not uh you know yeah. they're not monsters they're not going to end <laughs> the whole planet well okay they might they're kind of monsters yes but uh and so not unlike you know, when you would hear old stories about, like, ritual sacrifice, but also, like, uh, throwing, a, like, a young woman into a volcano to appease the, the gods and mm-hmm. stuff like that. This is an example of that, only now it's like a moder- it, modern horror movies in which kids go to a cabin and get picked off one by one. Um, and that's part of the quote-unquote ritual. And... So what the film is sort of saying is that every horror, every cliche horror movie you've ever seen is, in fact, uh, a ritual to appease the gods. Mm -hmm. And we'll get more into this a little bit later. uh, You have to really stick to this ritual. Um, Otherwise, the gods get upset. The ancient ones get upset. Has to be done a certain way. A very specific way in not necessarily a specific order. But certain people have to die and certain people uh, have to live or at least die last. So, um, I'm sorry, we're getting distracted by my adorable cat who is curious. Uh, so, that's the, that's the story of Cabin in the Woods. Um, if you're listening to this, then you've already, uh, you've already seen it, so I don't want to dwell too much on that. Or uh, you're okay with it being spoiled for you. Right. Josh, you saw the film only recently. Only recently for the first time. What did you think? 
I enjoyed it. I, I think it was a, a kind of a cool twist on the the regular horror movie, and it says something I think about about horror movies. I'm always interested in a film that makes a comment on film in general, or even more so on the specific genre. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I think it's thoughtful, because I. I don't like Scream because I think it's trying to do that and is not thoughtful. Most people disagree with me, including including yourself, so yes. that's fine. We don't have to talk about that, but I don't like that movie. Anyway. Uh, we'll t- I'll touch on it a little bit later. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, th- I found this one... Uh, it's good because it's not, it not only has something to say, but I think it's entertaining. Um, it ends up... I, I like a horror movie that can have enough comedy in it that there are funny moments without it being too uh too dark maybe now that that actually leads to a question that i had um when i watched uh the movie for the first time there were moments of suspense but after a while uh once it's clear that you know because the uh you know the zombie what is it the zombie redneck torture family or whatever however the uh, controllers refer to them they um they're rather frightening, and the way in which they uh, kill these kids is frightening. But then once uh, once our heroes uh, make it into the, uh, you know, the lab, not the lab, you know, the control room and the control area and that mm-hmm. sort of thing, um, I don't find it to be quite as suspenseful. Um, yeah. There are things that are kind of, uh, that are frightening, but there is a, there's an element of like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen next? in every good horror movie. And after a while, I found myself more interested in what is going to be revealed next as opposed yeah. to what's going to happen next. So after a while, it could be argued, now this doesn't stop me from liking the movie, it could be argued that the film is no longer a horror movie, strictly speaking, and is actually not that interested in being scary. Yeah. So the, that's, the, that's what I got the first time I watched it. Now, here's the thing. I watched it with you recently, and uh, and your wife Megan, and uh, the two of you. Uh, much to my surprise, you jumped on a pretty regular basis, and and you did seem to find it frightening and startling, uh, much more so than than I thought and mm-hmm. and than I remembered. Um, do you consider this to be? I mean, it certainly does sort of dissect the horror genre a little bit, um, and as you said, it is funny. But did you actually find it to be consistently scary or frightening? Um, I don't know. I think there's moments of it, but I think on the whole, I, I don't think I didn't really think so that much because right. I think that's not the film's main point. Like it's not trying to be a horror movie so much, and right. it tries to do a lot of the things that horror movies do, do, and it is successful in those. So it shows that it, it knows it knows the tricks, and I think that's important for what the film's trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like that about it, but I it's I don't know if you could call it a horror movie in the strictest sense of the word. Yeah. Um Yeah, and there are a lot of laughs in it. So much so that yeah. like I've I've heard some people refer to it as like a horror comedy. Yeah. Um and I guess it could be considered that. Mm-hmm. Um to me a lot of the comedy it, it's strange. When I think of a comedy, I do think of something that uh, you know, a situation that's funny or, or something like that. Whereas a lot of the humor in, not all of it, but a lot of the humor in The Cabin in the Woods comes from the, the juxtaposition of these 
of this very atmospheric cabin and these uh, kids who don't know what's going on and are legitimately and rightfully scared and then these two rather boring guys in almost uh, kind of an office space type of uh, yeah they're just at their job yeah you know and so it is kind of funny that in the midst of uh you know there's a (laughs) there's a scene of uh in which uh as one would expect for you know a movie like this uh the jock and his uh girlfriend they uh steal off into the woods and they're going to, uh, you know, have sex and that kind of thing. Um, what have you. And and so it's very passionate. And then it cuts to uh, the two uh, the two guys in, in the uh, control room, uh, played by Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford. And they're just staring straight ahead with, like, like bored look on, <laughs> looks on their faces. Uh, though they do make it clear that they want to see breasts. Not for themselves, but because, as it turns out later on, and I think the film does a pretty good job of kind of hinting at things without spoiling too much immediately. Uh, but they say, you know, we're not the only ones watching. Mm-hmm. And uh, but anyway, eventually, when the uh, when the girl does open her shirt, and yes, there there are her bare breasts. Um, it cuts to Bradley Whitford, who just goes, score. <laughs> just like you know in the Such same a way, board like, way yeah like any uh any any job that you've had where there's something that needs to happen and then it does you know you're happy that it happened but that's the way it's supposed to go and uh that's what makes your job your job and yeah. so there's nothing that particularly exciting about it even if by its very nature it is meant to be exciting yeah so, um, so I think a lot of the humor comes from just when it cuts outside of of the uh, the cabin and the and the kids. So, um, so yeah, I'm not sure if I would go as far as to just say it's a straight up comedy. I think it finds comedy in the kind of silliness of its premise. Mm-hmm. When you think about it, most horror movies are pretty silly anyway. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but then there are some that choose to like make jokes out of the silliness and some that try to still take themselves seriously and look silly for trying to stay serious. Right. And I do think that, that this film acknowledging through humor, some of the goofiness of what it's doing, I think by the end of the film, when we're, you know, when the, the director, uh, not the director of of the movie, Mm. but Sigourney Weaver plays the, the head of this, uh, organization, that appeases the gods and she's simply called the director. We'll get to that a little later. Um, and when she's describing what it is that, uh, you know, why they do this, um, it is silly, but it's done. It's said with a straight face. And because so much else that we've seen has been silly, but done with kind of a silly quality to it in that moment, it's like, okay, this may be a little goofy, but it's very serious. The world's going to end, you mm-hmm. know? And so in those moments, I actually find it to be, uh, it, it sort of earns it, it. It earns the right to take itself seriously because in so many other places in the film, it doesn't. Yeah. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I, I've been, uh, talking for, uh, for a while. Um, 
So what are some of the things that you do like and some of the things that you uh, that you don't like about the film, Josh? Well, I was already saying I, I, I like the comedy in it, and I like... At first, it starts off, uh, with the kids at least, it starts off seeming like something that I didn't like, and then I realized that it was done on purpose and became something that I did like. It seems like all the kids are... just are those stereotypical horror movie things where the guy's just a lunkhead. Mm-hmm. Well, the, there's like different types. There's a lunkhead jock guy. Yeah. There's uh, his promiscuous girlfriend. There's, uh, you know, the good girl, the virgin, they call mm-hmm. her in the movie. Um, uh, it's like the smart kid. Yeah. Th- these are like the types that show yeah. up in the movie. The scholar. The scholar, they call him. Then there's yeah. the fool, which is like a stoner guy in the movie. Yeah. And all of these, if you know anything about horror movies, these are kind of like, as far as having a bunch of kids go off to a remote place and get killed somehow, you kind of get all those types usually. Right. Um, even in just other teen movies, you have that. You could probably, you could probably uh, match the Breakfast Club up to that if you wanted to. Yeah. Which would be interesting. But anyway... Um, uh, at first, it just seems like those those characters are so they they seem really flat and and stereotypical in that way, almost to the point where I was just kind of laughing at some of the things that they would say or do because it's like that's such a such a stereotype. Um, and at first, I thought that it was just kind of overplaying the stereotype, just maybe for comedy, which is funny, but after a while you can be like all right i'm tired of i'm tired of seeing this and then it becomes becomes clear, clear later in the film that the reason they're doing that is because the uh, controllers have manipulated these people to somehow have them more like that mm-hmm. um and the the actors the, well not the actors the the kids start to say to each other things like we're you know so and so's not usually like this like the the right. jock guy he's like He's like an what's he an economics or economics? Uh, like, I think a sociology, yeah, or, sociology or anthropology. Major. I don't recall some like smart person major. Yeah, <laughs> but like not what you would expect of the jock with the letter with the Letterman jacket. Yeah, um, which he starts wearing half about uh, halfway, through halfway through the film. Before his, that, he's seen as a pretty smart and kind of a sensitive guy. Yeah, uh, who happens to yes be. Uh, good looking and he's got you know like a he's uh, physically fit but as the film develops he becomes more alpha male you know he starts wearing the the jacket and he becomes you know he calls the scholar he calls calls him like an egghead and stuff like that even though he is easily just as eggheady right and they're they're like it's not like they're thrown together because they don't want to be, which is often the case in some of those horror movies, but, like, they're good friends. Like, before yeah. they show up at the cabin, they're all good friends. Um, and it turns out, like we said, that the the controllers are manipulating them to act like this. So they're creating an environment where all of these people fit those stereotypes instead of being regular... Instead of being regular people. Yeah. Yeah, that's something that I that I do like. I, I almost wish that they had started out um, the film being even more regular and even a little bit more boring and and yeah, yeah, not boring, but you know what I mean. Just like people that you would know, like they yeah. uh, 
and I guess that's the problem is like part of me is like, well, I kind of wish that they had used slightly less attractive people, but I guess this is probably why the controllers selected this group. Yeah, it makes sense. Because they can fit into this relatively well, and where they don't fit, the controllers can make them fit. But I do agree with that as kind of a possible weakness, too, that, that they could be more normal at the beginning, if not in looks, at least in kind of character and attitude because um, yeah. then it would be more of a change now maybe the filmmakers are trying to kind of not show their cards too much right um, and so they don't do that for that purpose and uh, you know maybe I, c- I could go either way on that but I-, I can understand why they don't seem too different at the beginning right. before they leave for the cabin than they do um, it grows once they're at the cabin but it's not uh it's not an obvious difference. Yeah, it is interesting to watch the uh, the characters emerge once they've once they're starting to be manipulated. Although it, it becomes clear that they're actually they've started to be manipulated before the movie even starts. Like yeah. uh, one girl, the uh, kind of the slutty girl, um, uh, like dyes her hair blonde, and the controllers have put something in the hair dye to sort of slow down her uh, reasoning and, and that sort of thing. So the idea is now she is the dumb blonde. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have no doubt that perhaps they the controllers like put in one of their own people as like their as her like stylist to suggest, hey, you know, you'd look good blonde mm-hmm. or something like that. And so uh, but it's interesting because when you watch those first couple of scenes with the uh, the the kids they seem to, like you said, they enjoy each other's company. They want to be with each other. Mm-hmm. They uh, and they seem to, and they defend each other uh, easily. Um, but then, as the film progresses and they become more their archetypes, everything becomes much more negative. Yeah. Um, you know, the jock becomes more aggressive. The the promiscuous girl, and again, it, she's probably not actually promiscuous before this but she could be and so that's why they target her for that mm-hmm. that role um and so but she starts acting in ways that are uncomfortably promiscuous yeah um you know and the and the the scholar he's already kind of a a shy guy but there's a, a chivalry to him you know um but as he as the film progressive and he progresses and he starts wearing glasses, yeah. whereas he wasn't before, and he starts he kind of retreats into himself and becomes a lot more shy and mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Whereas this guy is just as much an athlete as as the the jock is. Yeah, um, you know it's and that's when you realize that like when you watch these movies, when you go back and watch you know a Friday the Thirteenth movie or something like that, uh, you realize. I don't really like any of these people, mm-hmm. which which is why you don't have a problem with them dying. Yeah. You have to not really sympathize with them. And so it is worth noting that the film while they're while the characters while the kids at the beginning aren't you know, they're not very uh they're not totally realistic. They don't seem like people you would know, but they do seem like people you like. And then they become people that you don't like. And mm-hmm. when they die, you can just kind of, oh, you're, you're, fi- you're fine with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and that's, that's a nice, it's a nice moment. Um, and there are certain things that, you know, I, you, like I mentioned the, the glasses, the scholar starting to wear glasses. Um, that is never called attention to, nor is no. the, 
the jock starting to wear his, his uh, let, uh, letter jacket. Letterman jacket? I think it's, I think it's letter jacket. I I've only ever heard letter jacket, but I, I think I might have heard Letterman as well. It's, it it's got the late show with David Letterman on the right. back. It's so he's a big pants. fan. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like, while while somebody makes reference to like the 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 jock or rather the the athlete's uh behavior there are visual cues that just sort of happen and you and they're never called attention to and they're just there if you if you notice them you know there's a uh there's a uh, a website out there called red letter media in which uh this guy plays a character who reviews movies and there's a phrase that he likes to use which is you might have not noticed that but your brain did Hmm. and so stuff like the jacket and the glasses even if you're not consciously aware of them your brain is that these characters are becoming more archetypical Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing so um so yeah uh so what uh did you have anything else that you wanted to mention that uh, particularly stood out to you positively or any or negatively Mm. uh I think because it's drawn you in far enough once they get sort of down into the control area, I think I stayed with the movie after that, but I think once you get down there, there because it's such a complex sort of thing, a lot more mm-hmm. questions arise once they get down into this into this area and it's if you start to think about the actual process of this conspiracy or or company or whatever it is that uh that is there to appease the gods some holes start to show up. Right. Um, I know one that I've heard people bring up and maybe, maybe I heard from you is that like, yeah, David and I mentioned, have mentioned it on the show. Yeah. Like, why is it that these, that it's possible for these horrible nightmarish creatures to be unleashed into the, there's a button that you can push. Yeah. And unleashes all the purge. Yeah. Unleashes all the creatures. For some reason, it purges them into the, (laughs) into the offices instead of like into the, into like space or the sea or something like that. Yeah. Um, uh, which, which seems like an oversight. Uh, and uh, another thing that I kept wondering, and maybe, maybe they, because they do, they do a good job of explaining some things, but I, I wonder like what happens to the, say, you know, they release the zombie redneck fan family or whatever. Once they kill all the kids, where does the zombie redneck family go? Do they like go back into the ground somehow to be released again? I don't know. I get the impression that uh, that maybe like the controllers they they might have have some way people of who come up and are much more equipped because they know what they're dealing with they're much more equipped to actually deal with them and yeah. wrangle well, them. well there's to, you can wrangle them but you have to like reset them and there's there's right there's a lot of things that just it's it's complicated and I'm sure you could come up with some kind of explanation but if you start thinking about that stuff you're like well how does this happen or how does that happen. But I, I, I think if you're on board with the movie by that point, which I think most viewers are, mm-hmm. you're not too concerned about that. You're more concerned with finding out the secrets behind this all and what happens to these characters. Right. I feel like uh, when I first saw the film, I, you know, I just uh, I was thinking a lot about it, and I found it kind of invigorating to be thinking so much about this this alternate reality that the film. Uh, puts out there where horror movies are real and there are ancient gods and these monsters are real as well. Mm. Um, and there's an organization that that runs everything. Um, I, I found that exciting and invigorating and I was, I was thinking like, well, 
there are some holes and I feel like the film could have spent a little bit more time sort of building its world Mm -hmm. but then you realize it would have been building it only for the sake of building it and not it wouldn't be character driven it wouldn't even be plot driven it would be there solely for our purposes which is not not terrible but at the same time we can we can fill in some of those holes ourselves and and for me the process of filling in some of those holes is kind of fun Mm -hmm. and exciting i don't necessarily need to have everything spelled out um but but some people don't feel that way and i and i understand uh, i understand why um but uh, and it's interesting because uh, a lot of people have said oh this movie it should have it should have left itself open for a sequel which it does not (laughs) but it is a film that in my view is screaming for a prequel i feel Mm -hmm. like there'd be you know to find out how this organization came into being and i don't know not unlike uh what is it the good shepherd the robert de niro directed uh, matt damon cia movie about the formation of the cia it'd be interesting to watch the formation of this company which is not necessarily associated with the government it is not military mm. it is its own thing and so how did it get how did it get this way <laughs> And how do they find the? How do they find people to work for it? Because it's people that are engineering the deaths, the deaths of others for the greater good. Like that's mm-hmm. there's interesting stuff to be explored there uh, that I think you could do in a prequel. If, and if the film had been more successful, which it was not, uh, I think they probably could have done that. But as it is, I think it's probably just going to be a little standalone movie unless it unless it develops a huge cult following, uh, following which it has to a certain extent, but. You know, we'll wait and see how uh, DVD sales do and that kind of thing. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's one that grows on DVD because yeah. it was in the th- it wasn't in theaters for a real long time, right? Like, it right. Was a, so that didn't give too many people a chance to figure out, like, oh, this isn't exactly what you think it is, or to see, like, oh, there's more to this movie than you might have imagined, right? And so, by the time it's out on DVD, then there are a lot of people saying saying those things, and that might get more people to view it when it's less of a commitment to do a yeah. $1 red box rental. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm interested to see, yeah, I'm interested to see if it, if it's audience grows. And I think I, everything about it is that kind of, of movie. Um, so yeah. Uh, and I think, I think I've kind of touched on some of the things that I, that I don't like about it, which is, you know, it does leave some gaps. Uh, and some of them are pretty, you know, some of them are negligible and some of them are pretty big. Like, I mean, that purge button is a giant, it is a huge red plot device. <laughs> um, but that's, you know, I'm kind of okay with it. Maybe, who knows, maybe it's one of those things where maybe it is literally impossible for those monsters to get out of that complex. And that is why they are released there. Perhaps the people who designed it... Uh, we're not thinking about their own lives. They're thinking about the world at large and the day may come when they need to eliminate all of these, uh, monsters or at least keep them contained. And perhaps if they release them into the ocean, maybe if they release them into space, maybe there are some that could always get, that could get back to people. And so who knows? Maybe that's what it is. By the way, I just came up with that. So good job. I did not No, No, that's to say that might not actually make a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, and so, so, you know, my problems with her are not, they cannot, it's not as though there is no explanation for them. The explanation might not make a lot of sense and it might be really kind of out there, but 
it's a it's a film that I think invites you in to help build the world that that in which it takes place. So, okay. So I guess we'll we'll get into uh, sort of thematically what I wanted to talk about and. Uh, and as I said, this episode is going to be a bit more movie-related than, uh, than uh, Christianity-related, though there, there will be some of it uh, a little bit later. Um, but I, what I really wanted to talk about is that, you know, uh, you mentioned Scream. And Scream is a... Uh, it's, a it's kind of a meta film. It's, it was one of the first of its kind, a, movie, a horror movie in which the characters themselves are aware of horror movies, and thus they will talk about uh, the rules and some of the cliches of horror movies. You know, like, you don't say, I'll be right back. And various other things. Um, and it was one of the first movies that, that called attention to these things. And what I like about it is that the characters show that they are aware of this, but that that knowledge does not save them. Mm. Um, I like the idea of that. That just because you've got it all worked out doesn't mean you have it all worked out. And so, um, and there have been a, there have been other uh, horror movies since then. There's a movie that I love called Behind the Mask that is also meta and talks about kind of deconstructs the horror movie. Yeah. Uh, and Cabin in the Woods has been called a deconstruction of horror, and it is. But in my view, it's more than that. I think it's a lot more than that. Um, you know, and and already uh, you kind of referenced this yourself. You said. Uh, that not only are the archi- you know are these kids archetypes in horror movies, you watch a teen comedy, you'll find those same archetypes, mm-hmm. um, or or like a teen drama, or or you know really any of that. Um, and so I feel like the film is much more of an examination of of artistic formula than about horror formula. Yeah. Uh, it uses horror. It speaks to horror specifically, but yeah. um, it's more about these sort of cultural tropes and yeah. what becomes expected by an audience and what becomes, uh, um, I don't know, maybe necessary in a in some skewed sense. In a skewed sense, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it's it's a film that I think I, I I locked into this idea pretty early that. The ancient ones are sort of like the movie-going audience mm. because there are the you know there are the the controllers right. and there's the director mm-hmm. and then there's the performers mm-hmm. so to speak. The performers may not know what they're what's going on, but nonetheless they are the ones being watched and the events that are happening to them that's what's being watched. And then there are the people that are orchestrating it. They're not really the audience. Then there, then there are the characters that we don't see, but they are the ones that are sitting back and being entertained and being, you know, satiated appeased. and appeased and all of that. And they're not taking an active role in it, except, mm-hmm. of course, for the threat, right. which is if you don't do this, I'm going to get mad. Yeah. And you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, really, you've got... You have a film crew, right, including a character simply known as the director. Yeah. Um, and then you have them shaping 
these regular kids into characters and then you have the audience and the audience it's them above all and what does the audience in the film demand they demand the same thing over and over and over they demand a ritual and a ritual of course means the same thing yeah they don't want it to change they want they want the they want there to be one girl who's really promiscuous and blonde and she shows her breasts and they want her boyfriend to be this you know uh heavily uh you know heavily testosteroned uh muscular jerk mm-hmm. you know they want they want a quiet scholarly type and they want they want the fool they want a guy who gets really high or gets really drunk and can provide them with some comedy, but he can't last, certainly. But then, and all of these people have to die, and then they get to the nice, pure girl. Uh, And And they make a point in the film of saying, like, she can or cannot die. She she doesn't have to die. Yeah. If she dies, she has to die last. Yeah. Or she cannot die. As long as she's the last one, then we're fine. And that sound, and I, and I remember in that moment being like, "Oh, the ancient ones are." Uh, sounds to me like they're l- look how uh, casual they are with that, with the idea that uh, they can die, not die, whatever, as long as she's last. It's just like they don't care that this is ostensibly a person's life that they're watching, uh, and so, and the reason that the world ends is because the the fool character, the guy that's really high, we see him. Uh, it looks as though he dies earlier in the film, and then it turns out that he does not. And it looks like the virgin girl, the pure girl, is going to be killed before him. And that and that that would be the end of civilization. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the the ancient ones will not they will not uh, accept that. And it sounds like this ritual is done once a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's interesting that there's no there's no grace from the ancient ones. It's not like, well, you got this one wrong, but hey, maybe next year. It's <laughs> you got this one wrong. It's time to destroy the earth. Yeah. Um, and so I think the film really does sort of take the audience to task. Yeah. Um, I think so. And it's it's interesting because you can think of it in kind of a kind of a meta way there too where uh, in that if the ancient ones are the viewers then um of course they destroy the world in the film because within the film's own context the film is the world yes so they rise up to destroy the film um which doesn't sound unlike the blogosphere <laughs> or the guy sitting behind me when i first saw the film uh because it, it is like it's it was such a beautiful kind of poetry that, and I'm sorry, by the way, in talking about this, it is possible to sound very superior to uh, to a, to a, an audience that I feel like I'm not necessarily a part of. I'm okay with a film thinking outside the box and doing new things. But at the same time, I know the things that I like, and if something starts to be that and then winds up being something else, I know that sometimes I'm a little put off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might be willing to put in a little bit more effort to try to figure out why it did that but you know my first instinct is hey do what i want (laughs) um 
So I apologize if if this sounds a little superior, but I will tell this. Uh, the movie ends with the world, and you know, the movie ends with the world ending uh, appropriately, and. Uh, Basically, you see this giant hand burst out of the uh, ground right underneath the cabin, and then it and then it comes and it and the palm of the hand comes right towards the camera, smash cut to black, and then the movie is over. And so, quite literally, the ancient ones are smacking down or slapping down us and the world and the movie, and the moment it smash smash cuts smashes cut to uh that's not how it works uh to black the kid behind me goes that movie sucked <laughs> and i want to be like you realize that you just just did exactly what the film thought you were going to do right <laughs> you not unlike at the end of 7 when uh, Brad Pitt kills Kevin Spacey which is exactly what Kevin Spacey wanted you're you're playing right into its hand um but uh but yeah it's it, it you the the movie uses horror because horror does have maybe from an iconography standpoint from a from a story standpoint from character character archety- uh, archetypes um horror does seem to have the most cliches and tropes and that sort of thing yeah. which is why i think they use that yeah i think more so than any other genre that's the one where uh, people want to see a specific thing, um, the with, with the exception maybe of film noir and westerns. But those aren't there. Film noir certainly, but also western. You can't count on one being released every year. Yeah, and there's yeah, they're in no way as prevalent as as horror films. I mean, yeah. they're probably it'd be interesting to do a study, but I wouldn't be surprised if if, if you went by genre, if the majority of films are. Uh, are horror films like more than any other genre? I think because so, especially nowadays with the way low budget filmmaking goes. It's it's very easy to make a low budget horror film, yeah. and there's a lot of that going on. I and, have worked on several. Uh, yes, you have, uh, and I think the genre that genre more so than western, more so than film noir, is eternally malleable. Like it can always be changed. I mean, yeah. you can have something like Rosemary's Baby or something like The Blair Witch Project, you mm-hmm. know. You can have The Shining, which is of course, you know, worked out with uh, clockwork orange precision. No. Stanley Kubrick. No. Anyway, um <laughs> I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. Um but uh, you know, you have something like that which is uh, I don't know. It's so it's so specific and so well thought out. Or you can have, you know, quarantine or Paranormal Activity Four. I think they're up to. I haven't <laughs> seen any of them. You know, something as easy. Found footage is not necessarily easy, but the idea of it is it's supposed to seem not thought out and gritty and grainy, as opposed yeah. to you know a Kubrick film or a Polanski film or something like that. So, yeah. uh, so I think. The reason that it can that it can work, uh, the reason that there are so many of them, is because you know if there are four horror movies released in a year, there's not a guarantee that they'll all be the same. You know, you could have a found footage, you could have a slasher, you could have a supernatural horror, and then you could have yeah, probably another found footage. Anyway, um, a, p- a possession film. That uh, there you go. Yeah, those are big these days with the kids. And kids so love possession. They sure do. 
like buying things. They like yeah, to they like possess to, things. They like to have things. Each other. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> if you take anything away from this episode, it's that kids like possessing each other. Yes. Yes. That's, anyway. That's the theme I wanted to get into. Um, but yeah, and so... Uh, so anytime a film indicts the audience that, you know, by which I mean it indicts us, then we need to sort of ask ourselves like, okay, do we fit into what this audience or what this movie is saying? Mm-hmm. Am I one of the ancient ones that is basically like a, ju- a big kid, a big child? Um, and if I don't get exactly what I want, and I mean exactly what I want, I will slap this film down. I will tell all my friends how terrible it is you know am i that um and i think like i said you know uh i try not to be that but i think on my bad days i think i fall into that if a, if a movie or a tv show if it doesn't give me what i think it should um i can get very upset so um for example there is a movie that uh that neither of us like called uh, branded to kill and I remember that movie made me very angry when I first saw it. Uh, but thankfully, thankfully, no, that's not the right word at all. Uh, eventually, the anger turned inward and I started getting mad at myself because I assumed that I wasn't seeing something that, that was clearly there. Um, but, uh, but I remember like, and I got angry at myself for getting so angry at the movie because if, for no, if, if nothing else, it is just a movie. It's not that's the end true. of the world. Uh uh, or is it? Watch out. It's the end of that movie's world, according to Tyler Smith. That's right. So, um... Smackdown. I smacked that thing right down. So, uh... So I'll get... I'll use that to get into uh, the companion film very briefly. And this one I don't want to necessarily spoil. Um, because fewer people have seen it, I'm sure. Mm. It is a, uh, a film called Funny Games. Now, there are two versions of it, each written and directed by the same man. There is the, uh, I think... Uh, He's Austrian, I think. Austrian. Um, that one came out in 97. And I think the, what, the new one, when did it come out? I think 2007. Or it 8. Might be around, about right, yeah. Yeah, so it might be, you know, for, hey, 10-year anniversary, let's do the American <laughs> version. Which is... I, I have not seen the English version, uh, American version, I guess. Um, so I can't speak for the the quality of it necessarily, but I, I am interested with the idea of doing a shot for shot remake of a film. Yeah. Um. Even yeah, 1997 and 2007. Just checking here, but uh, I, I think that's a fascinating idea. Although m- oftentimes people do not like the when that's been done before. People don't like it. Like I know the the Gus Van Sant Psycho has been maligned. A lot, yeah. uh, but I, I think it's an interesting experiment. Even if it doesn't turn out well, I I feel like I can give someone a hand for doing that. And it's even stranger to see a filmmaker remake his own film just in a different language. And I wonder if that speci- <laughs> I wonder if he did that specifically um, in the English language in an American setting because I don't know if he felt the film. The original film was more of an indictment on American audiences than anyone else, which... Uh, that's my theory, yes. It, it makes sense. Um, yeah, and uh, so I will i won't even summarize. I'll just set it up real quick. Uh, Funny Games is about a uh, family, a uh, father, mother, and, so- and young son who are taken captive 
uh, in their own home, like their summer home, by these two, uh, like, 20-something uh, male uh, psychopaths? I don't know. So the film is basically about... Um, just this power struggle between this family and these two guys. Mm -hmm. Um, And the two guys are quite sadistic and they sort of play mind games with the family and they engage in physical and psychological torture. And it's really, it's (laughs) horrendous. It is a horrendous film. It is a, it's wonderful. It's one of my favorite movies of all time, but it is a, difficult experience absolutely yeah it's it's very uh um it's very disturbing it's harrowing i'd Mm -hmm. say and um where i guess it kind of connects to some of the stuff that we've been talking about is that uh it was meant it also comes out as kind of an indictment of an audience Mm -hmm. and what an audience wants to see and while it is kind of horrible there are a lot of movies that are like that and when some things later on in the film start to become a little more abstract mm-hmm. um you realize that the film's kind of stepping outside itself to make a comment on this type of movie um yeah, the the main uh, villain, whose uh, name the character's name is Paul, I believe. He. Uh, it's worth noting that a couple of times during the movie, he will look at the camera. Yeah, and he will speak to the audience. To the audience, as yeah. an audience. Um, other times, he will simply give us a wink. Mm-hmm. Um, Does it? It's been a while since I've seen it. I feel like there are moments when he actually asks the audience, "Like, what do you?" There is a, a scene where mean? he says, you're on their side, aren't you? Yeah. But who are you going to bet with? Yeah. Um, you know, and it's, and I think it might be something, I think at one point he might say something, or this might be implied, I don't totally remember, it's been a while since I've seen it, in which he says something like, this is this is what you wanted, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I think that's in there, but I'm not 100% sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that is, whether it's stated overtly or not, that is something that they that the filmmaker Michael Haneke is trying to ask us, which is, Hey, this is a film about a family, including a a young child being tortured. Why are you watching this? Hmm. Why do you want to watch this? Yeah. Is this what you actually want? And of course the, the, uh, but the, the film also acknowledges that yes, we want that, but we don't really want that. Mm -hmm. We want that set up. But we have, of course, we want the family to win. Right. You know, we want these guys to be killed. Um, and, and then everything is, is, is right with the world. And it's like, and that's the only way that this becomes acceptable. But if we were to watch a movie in which a family is tortured and then they are killed, mm-hmm. um, I'm not saying that's what happens in the film. I'm saying hypothetically, if that's if we were to watch that movie, we would be incredibly dissatisfied. And what Haneke is saying is like, well, in both instances, your impulse is to watch terrible things happen to somebody. And then at the end, you're, you want a little bit of, you want some justice. You want to believe there's a happy ending, but you're, you're perfectly okay with watching awful things happen 
And chances are, you're okay with watching them happen in a pretty sensationalistic way, which Funny Games I don't think is. Yeah, Funny Games isn't necessarily, but something like Cabin in the Woods is. Yeah. And that's pointing up, that's making that point more specifically to the American horror genre. Yeah. Which is, that's, that's standard for the American horror genre. And so... In both cases, uh, the Cabin in the Woods and Funny Games, they're they're asking you what what it is you look for in a movie and why, mm-hmm. you know. And the idea of like you know the family against the killer that's a you know that goes back that's not a new thing certainly. I mean, one of my a movie that I love uh, is called The Desperate Hours. It's got Frederick March and Humphrey Bogart, and it's you know it's a really great movie. But that's very much. You know, these convicts uh, hold this family hostage. Uh, these escaped convicts hold this family hostage. And so it's exactly this kind of thing. Yeah. Now, I think it's, I think it plays out very well and realistically. Um, and we see that the family, they are certainly not perfect. And they try to do things and the things don't work. And, but they are able to... and work out a certain degree of of like they recognize that these guys are not stable that these convicts are not stable and that they can turn on each other relatively easily but nonetheless like i still that is a movie that i like and why do i like it i mean why do we like seeing people in peril and we seem to only like it if it adheres to a certain formula that way we can feel we can feel okay about wanting to see people in peril yeah Um, and then it's interesting when later on in well I guess I won't spoil too much, but in Funny Games, it's it's almost as if the the uh, the young guys, the the torturers, mm-hmm. sort of in being outside of the movie and communicating directly with the audience, sort of supplant the audience, and it becomes what if these guys get what they want? Yeah. Um, uh, because if if the film was just concerned with giving the audience what they wanted would be one thing, but what if what if these are the guys who get what they want instead and are right. able to, uh, in some strange ab- abstract ways, literally change the outcome come of the film? Mm-hmm. Um, what does that mean? And it's this idea of by yeah by having them be aware of what's going on and the fact that we're watching a movie and constantly looking at us, it's almost like. If this is what it's like, this is what you want. You don't know what you want. Hmm. You might think you know what you want. You might think you know what you're asking for, but you don't. And maybe even to say what you want is the same as what we want. Yeah. Uh, the The ending might be a little bit differently. Uh, might be a little different, but like in a two hour movie, we're talking about a difference of five minutes at the end. Yeah. So really, if we were to stop this movie and your movie five minutes before the end. It's the same it's movie. It's basically the same movie, and that's what you wanted. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, and so so both both Cabin in the Woods and, and Funny Games, they, they ask us what it is what it is we're looking for and the things that we demand of our art. And so, um, and it's, it's always a, a question worth asking. Um, why am I, you know, there's a, now that I'm mentioning it, I'll, uh, I get to link to it because it's one of, one of the articles I'm more proud of. Um, there is a uh, <clears throat> there is a show that I think is still going on. It was on Spike, and it's called Deadliest Warrior. Um, and uh, I think I might have talked about this uh, recently on Battleship Pretension. But uh, yeah, and what it does is I won't go into a lot of detail. But it pit it, it 
it plays with the idea of like what if this person fought this person and it could be like what if a knight fought a pirate what if a viking fought a samurai or something like that and then it uh and then it <laughs> it talks about and then they bring in like experts on both cultures and with like ancient weapons and then they demonstrate the weapons on like dead pigs and like ballistic dummies complete with blood and organs and bones <laughs> so that you can do you can get as close to actually killing a person as possible um and so you run all these tests and all that and you that's supposed to help you figure out which one of these would you know would win in a fight um and you know it's interesting if they had tweaked if they tweaked it a little bit and they could still have like the awful weapons demonstrations but they could just you know they don't have to have one person fight another person it could just be a demonstration of weapons they could have it on like the history channel or something like that and it'd be or national geographic and and it would be fine but there's there's that kind of fanboy mentality of like oh man what if this guy fought this guy and uh and the hosts of the show, anytime a weapon was demonstrated, they'd be like, oh, that's awesome. That's great. And, okay, whatever. Fair enough. But then they start getting to, like, the weapons of the Viet Cong and the Nazi SS. And, like, they had one where it was the IRA versus the Taliban. And it's like, all right, when, uh, when we're, like showing how excited we are and how and we're you know uh giving each other high fives because of hey here's a here's this bamboo spiked ball that uh that the Viet Cong used to like kill you know US marines not long ago and hey here's this awesome flamethrower that the uh, Nazi SS used to oh burn humans alive it's like maybe this isn't quite as awesome Mm-hmm. And I started to get a, I started to get a little twinge in which I was like, this show might be wrong, mm-hmm. or at least the tone of the show is wrong. Uh, and I got, I started to get mad at the show, but then I realized, like, yeah, but I'm watching it, mm-hmm. so maybe I need to start with me first. Mm-hmm. Maybe I need to stop watching it. Even at the time, I would say, like, yeah, I watch this; it's kind of a guilty pleasure. And it's like, ah, eh, maybe move away from it. Like, if you think it is wrong, move away from it. Yeah. Um, like it does need to start with you. Like if you get if you think that movies are cliche, well, ask yourself what movies you're watching. Yeah. Um, and then if but then if you think a movie like if you're upset that it doesn't do what you want it to do, maybe ask yourself why you want it to do that thing. Yeah. And and you might by the way come away with uh, might come away th- feeling affirmed in what it is that you want, and that's fine. But at least you ask the question. Yeah, because a lot. I mean, in a lot of instances there are a lot of films that are for entertainment purposes and if you want one that entertains you in a certain way and it doesn't then that's not the film for you so there is some some validity in that um that yeah and i guess just the uh and this is where this is where like the the film nerd in me comes out because it's like okay and you know I can get a little upset with what you can be like if you go in that thinking a movie is one thing and it turns out to be another you can get mad at the movie or you can get mad at the marketing because mm-hmm. and often the two don't have much to do with one another yeah I, think I know the that, master right now is a good is a good example because a lot of people are expecting an expose on Scientology and yeah. then are just coming out upset 
Yeah. And people were upset with Cabin in the Woods because it yeah. really was, you know, in an effort to hide some of the twists, which is fine, um, they made it seem like it was just a regular Cabin in the Woods movie. And it is not. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you go in expecting a pretty run-of-the-mill horror movie and you get that, then I can understand why you'd be a little upset. But at the same time, if that ever happens to you, you can get upset with the studio, you can get upset with the publicity department, but don't get upset with the movie. Instead, you can use the opportunity to say, okay, this is not what I thought it was going to be. This is, in fact, what it is. So why is it this? Yeah. You know, and you could find yourself actually more excited about what the fi- what the film actually is than what you thought it was going to be. Yeah, and depending on your general approach to movies, I mean, for me, I, I often try to not see too much uh, about the movie beforehand with trailers and things like that. Sometimes in L.A. it's kind of impossible when the marketing is on bus stops and things right. like that. But, uh, you know, if you would like to... Uh, for some films, I know I want to. I want to have totally my take on it, and I want to expect just what I'm going to expect, which might be nothing. And sometimes you can enjoy a film more that way. Now that might not be the case at all for you. You might be the sort of person where you want to know exactly what you're getting, and so you want to know as much about it beforehand as possible. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, and I wanted to very briefly move into some some spiritual application, though I don't. I want to be careful not to uh, you know bend over backwards for it because there's not a lot uh, in the theme that we're discussing, except that uh, you know, as as Christians, I mean, the very nature of what Christianity is and how it started is it was people had a certain expectation of who Jesus was going to be mm-hmm. um, and what what God was. And it was, well, not unlike the ancient ones, which is like, you stick to the script, mm-hmm. you do exactly what you're supposed to do all the time, and that is the only way that you will be acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you you obey all the rules, you listen to, you know, you pay attention to all the laws, and then God will will love you. And it was pretty rigid. And Jesus comes along and says, there is another way, a way that actually is much more freeing, and in that freedom, much more exciting and encouraging and loving and merciful. Uh, and, sur- and sure enough, people responded... Uh, uh, like the like the ancient ones in the movie, which is uh, you know wanting to like slapping him down and just mm-hmm. because even if even if formula or a ritual is even if it's confining and restricting, there is comfort in it, which is okay as long as I do this, I know that I get this. It's fine. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, the nature of Christianity is is moving outside of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will actually uh, bring up something from the movie as an example. Uh, so, there is a... Uh, one of the controllers makes reference to what it is that they do, and, and he's talking about giving the uh, the kids free will, which is to say the free will to choose the method of their own destruction. destruction. Um, you know, like uh, in Ghostbusters. Ah, uh, yes. You know, Stay Pup Mar- Oh, man, if they pick Stay... Stay puffed marshmallow, man. That'd be awesome. That'd be exciting. Um, but he says, uh, he says, we write the game as much as we have to, but in the end, if they don't transgress, they can't be punished. 
Um, and that's a very, a very simple statement. You know, mm-hmm. if you do something wrong, then you'll be punished. Um, you know, one naturally flows into the other. But the nature of Christianity, you know, I think, I think a lot of us think of God himself as kind of like one of the ancient ones, just hmm. waiting for us to screw up. Yeah. Um, almost wanting us to screw up mm-hmm. uh, so that he can slap us down. Right. Um, but in actuality, uh, you know, it's much, it's much simpler and yet more complex than that. You know, because the idea of sin punishment is very easy. And so we better not sin. Or if we do sin, we better try as hard as we can to do more good things than bad. um, So that maybe we'll come out ahead. Uh, But Jesus makes that, makes it easier and makes it, and frees us from that, that uh, horrible, unrelenting logic. Um, Which is, you know, it says if you, uh, let's see, if they don't transgress, they can't be punished. Well, Jesus didn't. And yet he was on, on our behalf. Um, so I've got a verse here, Second Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, I was thinking of do- devoting the whole episode to this idea, but it is only briefly touched upon in the film, and so I wanted to uh, talk about the themes of the actual film. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did want to I did want to mention this that uh, even in the midst of something like Cabin in the Woods, we can look at uh, excuse me we can we can look at the way people view God and religion and how merciless it is, and we can take refuge in the fact that that is not the God that we worship. Yeah, it brings something to mind about uh, about the nature of God and about. Uh, I guess the the tyranny of of uh, what's the word I'm looking for uh, of a system where everything has to be done a certain way, mm-hmm. um, which I guess is maybe tyranny. Yeah, it's just, it's <laughs> the just tyranny, tyranny. tyranny. Yeah, um, about that versus uh, having a choice mm-hmm. and. Um, having an option that's outside of what seems what might seem most logical. Yeah. There, there's, I don't remember the exact reference, but there's the verse that says the wisdom of God is foolishness to man. Hmm. Um, and so uh, we may feel like things need to happen a certain way um, because it seems logical. There are a lot of things that uh, you can kind of match up science throughout history where there are a lot of times they said, well, things have to be this certain way. Like we know that the world is flat. So, uh, that somehow, you know, back in the day affected the way people thought about everything, including some religious things. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's why the church was all was against. I'm trying to remember who the first guy was that sort of hypothesized that the world might be, Round. It was like Copernicus or one of those guys way back in the day. Yeah, I don't and, know. And uh, I don't remember exactly, but they were like, burn at the stake. And they would burn people like that. Anyway, all that's to say, I feel like I'm, it sounds like I'm going off the, the rails a little bit, but what I mean to say is there are a lot of things that we, we might feel, even through our 
scientific knowledge and advancement need to be a certain way or have to be a certain way, whereas God often tells us that things aren't the way that we might think. Yeah, and that's... uh to to link everything together, um, you know, uh, and sum up as as we already have a little bit, but I want to make sure this comes through uh, clearly. Um, you know, we could we could be dealing with a God who does not think outside the box mm-hmm. and is just. And I'm sorry to use that phrase because it's a very cliche phrase, but it works pretty well for an instance like this. Just is rigid. And just, you know, there's a <laughs> there's a movie that you and I have seen uh, called Legion mm. that features friend of the show Doug Jones, and uh, and in various interviews he talked about, you know, because people ask why would you do a, something like this? It makes God look terrible. And he said, well, because I wanted to open up the conversation of, isn't it great that God isn't this? Because this is what it would look like if he was. This is what it would look like if if we did not have a God of grace and love, and a God that was willing to do things that seemed to us to have to make no sense. Because it doesn't make any sense for Jesus to take our sins on. Yeah, it's in the moment. I'm sure, you know, when he's saying, "Why hast thou forsaken me?" and and that sort of thing, and not wanting to do it. I'm sure in that moment, it's like this does not make a lot of sense. I'd really rather not do this, mm-hmm. but. You know, there's fairness, which which makes sense, and then there's love and forgiveness. And oddly enough, we we so regularly want fairness. We want the stuff that makes sense. We want the stuff that's familiar and that we know. Mm-hmm. But if we only ever had that, then we'd all be in big trouble. Yeah, you know. So, okay. Hopefully, you guys uh, enjoyed that conversation. The next episode, and I can say this definitively. We've been a little off the rails a little bit. I apologize. Uh, that Margaret episode looks like we'll begin to it in December. Um, uh, the next episode will be about Frank Darabont's The Mist, based on the Stephen King story, uh, with the companion film Night of the Living Dead, which I will assume you have probably seen, because most people have. So uh, if you haven't seen those movies, you've got two weeks to watch them. And in the meantime, uh, you can go to podcastawards.com and submit more than one lesson in the religion category. You can also go to theunemployedmind.com and watch uh, the most recent episode. And the newest one showing October 9th. And the next one, yes, you can do that as well every two weeks. Um, uh, Or if you are listening to this from the more than one lesson website, I will link to to, uh, the first episode of The Unemployed Mind uh, within this post. So, uh, all right. I think that is about it. Um... Let's see, is there anything? Oh, that's right. Okay, I totally forgot about this. Uh, Travis Fishburne, who writes uh, who writes articles for the website, he put out a, uh, a uh, two-part article about The Dark Knight Rises and uh, what he as a Christian got out of it. Uh, and so I would recommend watching the movie first because he talks about some character arcs that... Uh, might have some spoilers in there for you. So uh, I'd say watch the movie first and then read them. They're very interesting, and I, and I, I like them quite a bit. So uh, all right. So that's at morethanonelesson.com. You can, uh, if you have any questions or, or comments for me or Josh, you can email me, Tyler, at morethanonelesson.com. Josh, Josh at morethanonelesson.com. Um, you can follow us on – well, you can, you can go to the uh, – you can join the 
Facebook group, which I'm trying to update more regularly. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. That's at More Lessons. Or you can follow Josh on Twitter. At the Josh Long. At the Josh Long. So thank you, everybody, for listening. And, Josh, thanks for being here. Well, thank you. And I'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.